so we've come to the last episode have we of we have come to the very last episode which is of course not the end of exploring stuff because this is kind of the beginning really isn't it but this is the last part of this particular series yeah Um, absolutely so let me just introduce this is when the rainbow appears if you haven't picked that up i mean i imagine that anyone listening knows that what they're listening to because they press a button somewhere to listen to us fools why did you do that i have no idea (laughs) um and we are looking today at um the last part of rachel's course i'm lisa jane lewis this is rachel humphrey a reminder that we've got a twitter account you can find us at rainbow pod uk and there's an email address there that people can email if they want to follow up with us further absolutely it is when the rainbow appears at gmail.com anyway Shall we crack on? Yeah, let's crack on. Let's get into it. So this is a kind of clear up session, really. Um, All the others were sort of thematic, where we follow a particular, you know, theme of things. Um, But this one is kind of the bits that we missed along the way. And a look at the kind of the whole of scripture, because, you know, what we're kind of working against here is the sort of tendency that a lot of us have been trained to do that doesn't work very well, of cherry picking one verse out of context and making it mean what we want it to mean without thinking about the original context or what the person who wrote it might have thought it meant or anything like that. Um, But a lot of people don't have a kind of grasp of how the whole flow of the Bible comes together uh, because we rely on a little individual verse picked out of context and we don't necessarily know the whole story. And there's some interesting trends in in the whole story that for me didn't just answer a lot of questions about um, whether I can be accepted by God as an LGBT person, but actually solved a lot of other problems at the same time. So I think it's interesting to look at that and just see what we think about it. So we'll start off looking at a couple of different characters. And, and basically we're kind of looking for the hidden queer people in the Bible. Now we've talked about a lot of these already. We've talked about Joseph and the Ethiopian eunuch. In fact, all the eunuchs. We talked about Jacob and who else have we talked about? There's been other people as well. I can't remember who now. It's been a very we, long day. <laughs> we've talked about... Um, we've talked a lot about ancient Rome and things like that. Um, but there's a few more characters who, who are there and you read them as, as a gay person or a trans person or a bi person at, with a different lens and you think, oh, wait a minute, what's that doing there? And something that if you weren't looking with that lens, you might just skim over it and make a completely different set of assumptions. There's a degree to which the Bible is a bit like a mirror. And when you go to it, you, you find what you expect to find which is why the Bible can be kind of abused by people who expect to find God justifying slavery or racism or, you know, pick your pet sin, being gay from the point of view of some people. You go to the Bible looking for an answer on that thing and you will find it just as if you go to the Bible expecting it to tell you that gay people are bad, you'll find that. And if you go to it expecting it to tell you that gay people are fine, it will tell you that. That's why the fruit argument is so important because anybody can go to the Bible and find justification for their point of view. But what's the fruit of it? Does it make people more godly and more healthy and happy and better citizens and better people and better family members and all of those things? When the, when the people who translated the Bible into English were working on it, they were going to it expecting not to see queer people. So they didn't translate things in a way that will enable us always to see them. In the same way, when we go looking for them, we sometimes go, oh, wait a minute, what's that? So, and of course, ancient cultures, as we said, a lot of times didn't, understand 
queerness in the way that we do now. There wasn't a concept that somebody could have a queer orientation that would, you know, enable a public marriage to someone of the same gender. It just wasn't a thing that existed in those cultures. They hadn't, they hadn't worked that out yet in the same way as people hadn't. Well, no, I say that. European cultures have not had a massive tradition of honouring gender transition. I was about to say people, but actually that's not true because a lot of Native American cultures and Australian Indigenous cultures and Asian Indigenous cultures have always honoured more than two genders. It's just the Europeans have kind of lost that out of our cultural heritage. Somewhere along the way, because you go back to ancient Norse, you go back to Loki and Balder and all the Norse gods, they're changing gender the whole time. But in the in between times in Europe, we've lost we've lost the plot on that a little bit and forgotten that that's a part of the human experience. Anyway, what does it look like when we go to the Bible and look for these things? So I'm going to go to the classic. Are they aren't they? So <laughs> I'll read the Bible verse and then we'll have the are they aren't they discussion, right? Okay. So Ruth and Naomi, are they aren't they? You know the story. Um, Ruth's Naomi's daughter-in-law, both of their husbands die. Naomi tells Ruth to go home. Ruth says to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. That's Ruth 1 verse 16, if anybody wants to look it up. So, are they, aren't they? Um... Well, that, that depends what you're asking. Are they or aren't they what? Oh, well, people will go, well, they're obviously in a gay relationship. I'd say they're in a queer relationship, but I wouldn't say it was a gay relationship. Go on. Well, their, their relationship, their friendship of whatever it is, is not ordinary to the time. Mm -hmm. So, so that by definition makes it queer and you can you can take and use that word however you want to yeah absolutely is that, is that fair i think that's very fair the other interesting thing about it is that that particular set of two verses there has been used in thousands of wedding ceremonies yes by straight yes. couples or passing straight couples anyway, because they feel this is the two verses in the Bible that best encapsulate the way they feel about each other. Yeah, that's so very true. So who knows whether there was any sexual action or not. It falls into a big pile of none of my business as far as I can see, but you've certainly got a relationship there that the quality of it and the love of it has been something that straight couples want to aspire to. Yeah, I was going to say, not, not only is it not my business, it actually doesn't matter to me either. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't lessen the story of Ruth or Naomi or the entirety of the Old Testament. So therefore, it doesn't matter whether... I mean, what sort it, of it matters a bit in the sense of, you know, as a gay woman looking for myself in scripture. Yeah, OK. There's not many places I can see it. Everything is about men. <laughs> Exactly. But certainly, and to be fair, isn't it the most lesbian thing you ever heard? Yeah, no, it is quite, it is quite lesbian. I'll, I'll give you that. It's totally, I mean, if any of you are gay or uh, gay men or straight, you may not be aware of the lesbian tendency to on the second date move in and commit your entire future to each other. But it is definitely a thing. Okay, so that so the most famous are they, aren't they, is of course David and Jonathan. Yes. So I'll just read the edited highlights. 
1 Samuel 18, this is after, I think this is after the David and Goliath thing, isn't it? After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Interesting, thinking about the one flesh, one spirit kind of idea from Genesis. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow and his belt. So, passage one, are they, aren't they? I mean, you'd be hard pressed to say they weren't, wouldn't you? Well, this is the point at which I feel like people are stretching if they say they're definitely, definitely not. It's like, a, yeah. You're trying hard to resist it at this point. If what, you read what? this as a gay man, you're saying instantly, well, of course they are. What, what do people say this is if it's not? It's a really, really good friendship. Is it? Is it now? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. But I think this is along the same lines as the people who convince themselves that the two old ladies who shared a house along the road for the last 30 years are just really, really good friends as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we had a few of those in my church. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure everybody knows some of those. Yeah. But probably some of them are just really, really good friends as well. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. but in the, in, in the 80s and the 90s, you didn't have to share a house because like you could get housing as single people yes whereas now now i wouldn't assume it as much because people need to house share you know though what i also <laughs> don't get me wrong this this whole thing ends up being so queer that you know it's hard to unqueer it but i do hold some space for really devoted non-sexual friendship as well yeah 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 no i, I have to go with that but you know you'd... that's also an important thing and actually you know okay i think this does one this one does go there in a few verses time but a lot of the time people make assumptions that just because two people together they're gay and that's not always true sometimes they literally are really really good friends and that's an important space to hold for the lessons, sometimes people basically. live together but have that sort of relationship where they would give their lives for each other and you know they share everything together and that's a thing worthy of honor so i yeah. don't want to jump straight into the conclusions no absolutely i so said the 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 lesson is don't make assumptions and don't draw your own conclusions really because because actually again it's a big pile of none of your business yeah exactly <laughs> but being as this story is in the bible however so the next <laughs> yeah Saul's daughter Michael was in love with David and when they told Saul about it he was pleased I'll give her to him he thought so that she'll be a snare to him and the hand of the Philistines may be against him nice father-in-law so David said to, Saul said to David now you have a second opportunity to become or the word in Hebrew means a twice over opportunity to become my son-in-law but he wasn't already his son-in-law so no. is he referring here to his relationship with Jonathan or is something else going on it's it's open I think at that point now, but it really hits off in 1 Samuel 20. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse or chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? Why would choosing David be a source of shame to him or to his mother? Hmm. And, you know, there's the whole popularity struggle going on here. This is where David is basically got the adoration of all of the people of Israel and Saul is jealous and senses that David might get thrown after him. But the whole sided with chosen thing seems a little bit more than that. And then you've got the clincher, I think. You've got the bit at the end where um, 
Source decided to kill David. They have the whole thing where Jonathan comes out with the with the boy and shoots the arrow, and they have the secret code for is my father going to kill me or not? going to kill you or not and then after the boy had gone this is verse 41 David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground then they kissed each other and wept together but now this is where it's funny the original Hebrew says David grew large <laughs> did it I don't think that leaves a lot of space for interpretation here the NIV translates this as but David wept the most <laughs> Clearly. There's translation choices and there's just, yeah, you made that up. They totally made that up. I bet they didn't know what to do with that. I would love to have been in the meeting, the translation yeah, meeting. I think that. this is what goes with the princess dress. They're reading it and they're going, I don't know what that, well, if they're really innocent, lovely little Christian men, they're going, but I don't know what that means. Okay. And if they're not very innocent little Christian men, they're going, well, I know exactly what that means, but we can't say it. What are we going to write? <laughs> there's only really one part of a man that really gets large in a noticeable way isn't there <laughs> his left ear so, right yes who knows whether this is dear innocent lovely little christian men you know who didn't know what it meant and no, made it up, or whether no. it is highly worldly wise christian men who are hiding are protecting our innocence and <laughs> covering I'm, up I'm, obviously queer reaction i'm gonna go with option two on that one <laughs> i think you're probably right <laughs> And of course, um, David's epitaph for Jonathan, your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. And I'm gonna put my flag out here and say, don't go saying David was gay, because he also had quite a lot of wives, which yes. was very, very securely in the bisexual category. Thank you very much. And that is great. Yes. Sometimes the gays want to steal David and forget that he was married, but he was married and had quite a lot of children. Yeah, and although he appeared although, to love several of his wives very much. Yeah, I mean, he had a, got the number one spot. He had a bit of a thing for Bathsheba, didn't he? Yeah, and Abigail. Yeah, and I like the, with Abigail, he was attracted by her personality and her courage, not just by her beauty. Yeah. So actually, and, and, you know, he 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 had he had decent taste in women. He did, but he's definitely one of ours. So. There you go. <laughs> yeah, definitely on the queer side. So yeah, yeah. on the are they aren't they? I think with those ones, I'm like, if you have to do gymnastics in your mind to say they weren't queer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which you're going to do if that suits your way of believing better. But you have to, you have to stretch for that one. Yeah. So should we go New Testament? Oh, let's. So this is the story of the centurion who asked Jesus to heal his servant. Indeed. So this is in Luke 7. There is another version in Mark, I think, which uses a slightly different word, but Luke makes the decision to use the word that's important to us. So I'm going with that version. When yeah. Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. The normal word for servant in Greek is doulos, Luke chooses to use a different word, which is pais, which is usually used. Remember when we talked about centurions often having a young boy on the side who would be their sexual partner. And this word pais is the word that would be usually used of that sexual partner. And so the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to him, asking him to come and heal the servant. So we don't know. Of course, it might not be. It might just be that Luke used an unusual word for a servant for some reason. 
But what we do know is that every single person in that crowd who heard those people come and ask him to go and heal a centurion's pies would have assumed it was a sexual relationship. Whether or not it was, everybody who heard that assumed it was, because that's what centurions do. Even if this centurion was a different one, if this centurion didn't treat his servant like that, if he treated that servant with love and respect, or everybody around is assuming that that is an abusive sexual relationship. Yep. The fact that he said the elders of the Jews suggested it wasn't abusive because I don't think the Jewish elders would have supported it if they thought it was something nasty. So we're, we're, we're bleeding towards a little bit here. We've got a social convention there that we would recognize as a fundamentally abusive one today because the kids are under the age of consent. But actually this one looks like it might be something that is a bit different because even the Jewish elders who we know did not approve of this are looking at this man and this relationship and going, actually, we wanna get Jesus to help them so we've got a clue here that maybe there's something different going on. Of course, it's, it's sure. that thing. What once you once you understand the context and the culture into which this has been written, then you start to have a bit more understanding of what's going on, don't you? Which is what we were saying when we were talking about the culture of ancient Rome, and we were talking about the you know the, all the imagery that they had around and that you know sex was just a part of it and mm. it was just just normal and all this stuff it would have been it I, f I feel like it would have been weird if this particular centurion had not had exactly yes everybody would have assumed that, that would have been strange yeah that would have been strange so exactly and jewish people looking would have assumed it was a bad thing but you've got these jewish elders who are running errands for this centurion to say actually this guy's all right yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's world respected and liked, I think. Yeah. So that gives us a very strong clue that, and of course, we know what Jesus did. Jesus didn't only heal the servant. He commended the centurion and said, everybody around, look at this guy's faith. He has yeah. more faith than all of you. So Jesus yeah. didn't just help the servant. He actually honoured the centurion and said, yeah. everybody else, you should have faith like this guy who, I'm, you know, again, Definitions are different. I'm not going to call him a gay guy, but it certainly looks like a same-sex relationship of one sort or another that Jesus yeah. chose to honour. Then we get the question of Jesus himself, of course. Now, this one puts the cat among the pigeons for a lot of people, <laughs> um, <laughs> understandably. Um, you've got all the references to the disciple whom Jesus loved. You've got the fact that Jesus was a rabbi who wasn't married. That was unheard of. Rabbis were always married. And, you know, people have various opinions. Some people think that the disciple who Jesus loved was John. Some people think the disciple who Jesus loved might have been Lazarus. Some people think it might have been another person who's not named anywhere in the Bible. And of course, nothing is definite in the same way that nothing is definite with the Ruth and Naomi story. You could read it any way you want to. And it's important to leave the space for they could just have been really, really, really good friends. But I think if you're an LGBT person, actually, even if you're not an LGBT person, the space that Jesus could have been gay is important. Yeah. Because if a gay or bi or intersex or trans or non-binary Jesus is holy and the image of God, that means I can also be holy and the image of God in me isn't spoiled. I think this is the fundamental sort of side A, side B difference is that for side A people, Jesus being gay is no problem whatsoever. Or Jesus being bi is no problem whatsoever. Because you can be 
totally perfect and holy and in the image of God and your gayness, blindness, transness does not change that in any way whatsoever. Of course, you can then go and sin, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the gayness or the blindness or the transness is not the sinning. Right. So yeah, that's an important space to hold in your brain, I think. And then if I'm going to really push the boat out, if Jesus is the new Adam, and we know from Genesis 1 that the first earthling was non-gendered, it would make total sense for Jesus to be intersex or non-binary. Absolutely would. So, you know, there's that. If Jesus is really the representative of all of humanity, Jesus being able to represent genuinely all of humanity and not just half of it would be more representative. And, it, and it's also, you know, worth noting, I suppose, here that Jesus is not fulfilling the gender role as expected of a first century Palestinian Middle Eastern Absolutely. rabbi. So yeah. he's not he's not fulfilling that gender role as well so he gets to be queer just by not being married and having children and falling into that stereotype of what yeah. a century rabbi should have been doing yeah whether that queerness moves into lgbt-ness is of course unknown to us at the moment but i think yeah as i said for me the space that jesus can be all of those things still be the holy son of god still be the image of god still be the firstborn of all creation and all the rest of it that's a really really important kind of theological space yeah absolutely anyway still want to know though this is the trouble we're so nosy as humans it's really important for us to know and yeah none of our business if you can't hold the space in your head that jesus was gay then that tells you that you think being gay is a sin yes and actually you need to examine that because a sin is a choice and nobody who's gay has made a choice also true for bi, bi lesbian transgender non-binary etc yeah you're, you're putting something onto it that is not there yeah no absolutely and that if you're a gay person or an lgbt person of any of the categories that is super important for us because a lot of our of the problems, the mental health problems and stuff that LGBT people experience comes from a sense of shame by having that sort of thing put on us by other people telling us that who we are is fundamentally broken, fundamentally damaged and fundamentally bad. Yeah, 100%. That's where we need to win the battle in our own minds for our own self-image and reclaim that we're made in the image of God. You are made good. You are made blessed. You are made with all the promises of God available to you just as much as if you were straight and cishet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, should we, should we go back to eunuchs for a minute? Hey, one of my favourite subjects. <laughs> absolutely. So we looked last week, didn't we, um, in the Acts 8 story about the kind of progression of how eunuchs are seen through the Bible. You've got Deuteronomy where it says no one who's been emasculated by cutting or crushing can enter the assembly of the Lord. Full stop, Bible clearly says. Then in Isaiah 56, you've got the bit that the eunuch read in the chariot with Philip. This is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give in my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. So Isaiah's prophesying inclusion. And you've got to think about what's happened here. You know, this is after the exile. So you've got people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who've been taken off to Babylon, probably been made eunuchs because they were joining the civil service, have yeah. now grown up, are looking back at the temple and wishing to be allowed to go home what's the deal going to be if all these people get allowed home and then they're not allowed back in the temple, you know? So people are seeing now that they need to change that because that's the, you know, 
there's people, part of their community, who won't be able to come to God if they don't change it. So Isaiah's beginning to prophesy it. Now, this is going to change. If you're honouring God, if you're keeping the Sabbath, if you're somebody who worships God, you're welcome in the temple. And then you get to Acts 8, where you get the actual eunuch who is accepted in the people of God and baptised as part of the family of God. And Philip makes that prophecy come true for the first time. Yeah. So you've got the thing where somebody's banned, then the inclusion is prophesied, and then the inclusion is fulfilled. That's not the only time we see that, because of course we see it with Gentiles as well. In Deuteronomy 20, you've got God saying, completely destroy the Hittites and Amorites and Canaanites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites. I'd like a medal for that, please. <laughs> as the Lord your God has commanded you. So Gentiles are to be killed. In Isaiah again, you've got the earth being filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. So prophesying that all the nations will be part of the kingdom of God. And then in Acts 10, which we'll come back to in a minute, you've got Peter saying it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean and the Gentiles are brought into the kingdom of God. Yay for us. <laughs> Interesting, you've got a progression with God through the Bible. You've got, you know, um, in Genesis 6, God saying, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created and with them the animals and birds and creatures for I regret that I've made them. So in Genesis 6, God is the killer. It's quite clear. Then you move into the sort of taking over the promised land stage where God's giving the city and the king into Israel's hand and Joshua put to the sword everyone in it he left no survivors and he did to its king as he'd done to the king of Jericho so God isn't doing the killing but he's telling Joshua to do the killing and then it again it begins to change again the exile happens and in Jeremiah God says um, to the people who've been taken in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce marry and have sons and daughters seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you to exile so the God who seemed to be a killer and a commander is now a peace builder again inclusion prophesied house will be called a house of prayer for all nations and then of course you get the inclusion fulfilled in Jesus for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and suddenly we have this loving God <laughs> which seems to have changed. So you have important questions there. Did God change? And the different people who read this over the centuries will say different things. Some people will say God changed. Some people will say people's perception of what God was saying to them changed. Some people will say, well, God could only say to those people that because they wouldn't have understood anything else. And this was the closest he could get to being loving at the time because the culture was so violent that people wouldn't have understood it or wouldn't have been able to do it. So there's lots of ways of thinking about it. But if you're actually reading the Bible, what you definitely see is a journey. And the overarching story of the Bible is a journey towards greater inclusion, greater human dignity and discovering more of the breadth and depth of God's love. And I think, you know, these days, most people, most people from my background would back away a million miles from the idea that God changes. Yes. But maybe we changed. Maybe we thought that's what God was saying. I mean, I know I can think back at times in my life where I thought God was saying something. And now I look back and say, no, clearly God was not saying that thing. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think if we look at, at now, I know Genesis 1 is not like, a historical document but I think if we look at, at God before the fall what we've got is a loving inclusive God like we've got 
got and to me this feels like a bit of a circle mm. the fall happens people then start like you know throwing their toys out the pram going mad like humanity is then on a journey to find its way back to god and i think i think we are on that journey just a bit further on because i yeah. I, I could i would not say I definitely w would not say that God has changed. And I think it depends on how you read the Bible. And I very much have been on a journey, for want of a better word, on how one reads the Bible. And I very much have, have sort of come to the conclusion that the Bible is not the story of God. The Bible is the story of people and of people trying to make sense of their concept of God. So if you've got people who are, constantly at war with lots of people what they need is a commander warrior god if you've got people who are looking for stability then you have a god who's a peace builder you need a god who's able to to fulfill that for you so i think i don't think god has changed but i think how people write about interact with talk about god is actually the journey of the bible did any of that make sense yeah <laughs> absolutely and the clues are there if you look at the like all the way through you've got these little clues in the covenants that god makes with people you know when mm. when god chooses abraham to to be the family that, he, that god's going to work with you get the whole thing of i will bless you and i will bless all the nations through you even back there in, the, in all the covenants God makes with people, whether it's with Noah or Adam or David or Abraham and with all the different patriarchs as it goes through. And it is always the patriarchs, of course, but it's always I'll bless you and I'll bless the nations, but they don't quite get the nations bit. And it's like oh. we needed to grow up as, as humans before we could actually understand the idea that God could love all the nations and all the peoples. Yeah. And just the whole idea, I suppose, that the Bible is all of God's truth. I mean, you're not saying the Bible's not true, but do you think God wasn't working in China for all those centuries? Yeah, no, exactly. The, the Bible is only... God didn't care about North America until 1500. You know? <laughs> There's a lot God's of people by, by our capacity to take a book to them, especially when nobody could read. Um, yeah, well, that's another thing that we have to remember is we are incredibly privileged in our faith because we have literacy which is not something that most christians throughout the dawning of history or and jews going further back most people have not been able to read this for themselves they've entirely had to rely on what other people have told them and on folklore and on stories being passed down around campfires and stuff that the people who wrote the scrolls and the people who then read the scrolls are a tiny 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 like percentage of the people who were affected by what the scroll said but most of them couldn't read it to check it themselves and the jewish people themselves didn't bother writing it down till the exile no no, no exactly. as far as we yeah. know Oh, yeah you know up to that you've got parents passing the stories to their kids and grandparents to their grandkids and preachers yeah. at the synagogue passing it on to the people who were coming to listen well with what well, not did so much have synagogues in the days before you know before the the temple was was destroyed but then they suddenly get to babylon and their kids are going to babylonian school and they're learning babylonian science and babylonian literature and stories about babylonian gods and you can see the parents turning to each other and going Folks, we've got to write this down or are we going to lose our heritage? 
And that's when people yeah. started writing the stories down and uh, an organised way rather than, you know, what my granny told me and what my granny told me is different from what your granny told you. They had to get all the granny stories together <laughs> and make the of it they could, write the tradition down before they lost it. No, the, the reason I like this way of looking at scripture is not so much because of LGBT stuff, although it works for us, not going to lie. Mm-hmm. It's also solves the problem of your violent genocidal God in the Old Testament, which yeah. you know a lot of people have got major issues with. If you say God is good, why is God portrayed as doing all this bad stuff? And you need yeah. to come up with a sensible answer for that. And, you know, frankly, if, if God's answer to anything is genocide and killing innocent babies, then I'm not really interested in worshipping a God like that. No, you know, that's no worse than that's no better than worshiping Moloch or one of the ancient gods that the prophets all rail at. You know, yeah. if your god will sacrifice babies, you've done nothing. Then why should I worship that god? But if you can frame it in terms of actually, now this is people's best attempts at describing what they knew God to be like. But until Jesus arrived, we didn't really know. Yeah, hints and the hints got clearer and clearer as we went along and we got a bit more of an idea as we began to understand more about other people and we began to travel more and exchange stories more and then Jesus comes and Jesus is the image of God so now all of our questions about what God is like are answered because we can look at Jesus and go oh God's like that yeah yeah, and God's about healing and restoring and honouring people and giving them dignity and standing against oppressive structures and systems and all of that and because now we have Jesus but even Jesus said I can't tell you everything you won't get it all now the Holy Spirit will come and lead you into more truth so that trajectory continues which is why we then get the history of the church taking a really really long time to realize that maybe women can do leady things and maybe slaves should not be enslaved anymore and maybe people of all races have different things to contribute to the kingdom of God and we should not be looking down on people and all of this stuff and I think part of the learning to accept LGBT people in our true identities is part of that trajectory absolutely so can we go to Acts 10 this is my favorite yes I like this one too this one's fun (laughs) so Peter's journey towards inclusion this is just after the Ethiopian eunuch bit um, they've all moved out of Jerusalem because they started being persecuted. And is Peter in Capernaum again? I think he may be. Anyway, yeah. he's the, there's a another centurion. So again, remember the assumptions about centurions. There's no particular reference to this centurion having any of his partners around in the story, but there probably were a few around. Um, he sent messengers to Peter. And as the messengers are on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. So God's already working in Cornelius. It's Peter who needs to catch up at this point. And Peter's had this weird vision of the animals, doesn't quite know what it's on about. So verse 17, while Peter's wandering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Peter's on the roof still thinking about the vision and the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are there looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I've sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? 
The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So this is step one. Peter, good Jewish boy, should not be inviting people into the house to eat with him if they weren't good Jewish people who were going to keep kosher. So he's got step one. He's got to basic hospitality and learning to listen to people. But took a vision to get him there. And then Peter goes with the men to Cornelius's house. Peter goes inside and finds a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, how to make friends and influence people. <laughs> but God has shown me that I should not call you impure or unclean. Thanks. Well, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And please, can I have a medal? <laughs> so this is, this is Peter feeling quite pleased with his allyship, his I've got a Gentile friend stage of inclusion. No, I think, <laughs> Come on. Let me just say that I love that passage. I love that little bit, 27 to 29, where, where Peter goes in and just basically does his whole evangelism mission message in such a bad, rubbish, clunky way. I feel yeah, like this is where you really empowering coffee and says, Well, you know, I, I know you're gay and everything, but I just want you to know that, you know, I, I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. believe that, you know, God can still work in you and heal you and all of this sort of stuff. And you're like, oh my God, I can see you're trying, but be quiet now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop talking. You're not helping yourself or your cause. Exactly. But bless. Anyway, Cornelius tells the story. And sometimes for us, telling our story is the best way to get through to people. Three days I was ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. A man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a drop of the Simon who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come. See, Cornelius being the bigger man here and having much more grace than Peter does. And I have seen this a few times. Yeah. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He's starting to get it. While Peter's still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, having, you can imagine the Holy Spirit there going, oh, Peter, just, just, just stop, stop, don't, don't. And then in the end, the Holy Spirit's going, like, if I let him talk, what's he going to say? This is just going to go wrong, right? Let's just do the thing now. So the Holy Spirit comes on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles while they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one could stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So when, when God just gives up on Peter and bypasses him totally, then Peter realises these are not lesser people to be ministered to, but equal partners in the gospel. That's a bit I really wish people could see, you know. I wish people could see the work of God in LGBT people. People yeah. who, you know, sitting in, in their church offices, arguing with people and debating Leviticus 18. You know, come and see what God's doing. Yeah. No, absolutely. Do come and see. Come and hear the on. stories. Come and see the amazing things that are going on, and then tell me that God's not in this. You know. Yeah. No, absolutely. 
you know, come and see the people who are coming back to God after years of being told they couldn't be. Come and see the people whose lives are being transformed by realising God loves them and the good people are doing in society and reaching out to other people and helping them. You know, come and see that and then tell me it's not working. Yeah. So Acts 11, next chapter. The apostles, uh, sorry, yes, yeah, so we're on the next chapter now. Peter's got to go back to Jerusalem. Um, so Peter goes back to Jerusalem. They've heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God and the circumcised believers, as you can imagine, criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. That's the thing they pick on. <laughs> sometimes it's like that, isn't it? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story, ending with in verse 17. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And this is step four for Peter, actually having to be a proper ally, step up, put his neck on the line and have difficult conversations. And I mean, I, I can't imagine that. This is the most amazing bit of the story where Peter basically is going to walk into a meeting of all the leaders of the church and say, folks, you know the Bible. God says not to do that anymore. Can you imagine Evangelical Alliance would, I don't Melt. know what they do. Melt. <laughs> Melt is possibly an understatement. But, you know, for, for, for the Jewish believers at that time, the Torah keeping the laws was scripture. The new stuff hadn't been written yet. That was the Bible. That was the word of God to them. And Peter is saying, yeah, all of that, all of our tradition, all of our way we've accessed God, all of the stuff we put our identity in, we're not going to do that anymore because it's keeping people from God. Can mm. you imagine? I mean, we've seen this happen. I mean, we've, we've seen it happen on smaller scales. We, you and I, have both seen it along with, you know, a number of other people in our community. You know, we saw it happen on a scale with Steve Chalk. I'm going to use him as a, an example. Yeah. But, you know, we saw what happens when you do that because he did exactly that in, what was it, 2014, I think it was. Mm, so, yes. you know, seven or eight years ago when Steve Chalk did exactly that. He, he, he said... Folks, you know this Bible thing that we've been doing? I think we've been doing it wrong and we're not going to do it that way anymore. And they basically went, get out. <laughs> get yeah. out. Stop. <laughs> so we, we know the risk that involves. Now, Steve did carry on, you know, preaching the message of inclusion and has done that very publicly and and has seen oasis grown its ministries yeah. it's grown its community it's grown the support that it has for people that have been told you know various things by the church that include you're not welcome um so i'm like don't you, you can't tell me that god's not in that because steve chalk can't do that on his own <laughs> yeah and you see the same pattern across the country i mean there's 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 a small number of inclusive churches of an evangelical type if you know what i mean but yeah. the ones that are brave enough to step out and take that risk usually there's a couple of people who leave but there's many more people who join yeah and the the way that churches grow in the breadth and depth of their ministry when they're when they're open to everybody without without the questions without the strings attached is a beautiful beautiful thing and i wish more people could see that and you know see see the blessing and see the the possibilities that are open to them for becoming inclusive rather than being scared off by the risks yeah absolutely and it just seems i don't know the whole thing 
on the, we're going to go on this subject. I wasn't particularly going to go here, but now we're here. The whole idea that, you know, having had this conversation with many different church leaders in many different contexts and what they're basically scared of is that people will leave and that they will lose money. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, I mean, nobody wants somebody to leave their church, but people do leave churches all the time. And if somebody leaves your church because you're becoming inclusive, they have got a choice of, depending on where you live, many, 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 many other churches they can go to. They are not going to fall away from God. They are not going to be lost. They are not going to have a problem finding somewhere else they can go and tell their story about how they left this church because the minister was so heretical and everyone will treat them like a hero. Yes, exactly. They you know can get I mean? the story they need. They can absolutely get the story they need in that situation. Totally. But if you decide to go the direction where it's the LGBT people and their allies and their family members and their friends who can't go, they many of them have nowhere to go. Yeah. And if you treat them badly as you do it, many of them will want to go nowhere. Yeah. Well, and this is where you end up with thousands and thousands of LGBT people and their allies and their families who don't feel they can go anywhere near a church ever again because of the way that they were treated. And yep. that is a problem. Yep. No argument from me there. And especially if you're the sort of church that, you know, will sing what songs about God's reckless love and leaving the 99 behind to go and get the one, but you're actually making a decision that is protecting the 99 and you don't really give a toss about the one, then think about the song you're singing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that's a really good point. And I think when, I mean, I, I don't know if you remember the first time. I certainly remember the first time that I was singing worship songs, for want of a better term, in a queer setting and just understanding how much more depth was in those songs that I already knew, I already sung in my church. When I first went to 223 about a thousand years ago um and was able to sing those same songs the same lyrics that I knew off you know out of my head I didn't need the lyric sheet in front of me because I knew them but when you sing worship songs in any sort of queer setting everyone should do that whether you are you know however you identify including straight people come and sing some worship songs with us because you'll get a whole bigger understanding of of how important words are and how yeah. they how they express the meaning of god totally and the story of god definitely so and then of course you get to revelation and you got a rainbow shining like an emerald encircling the throne which i know is pictorial language but i just like to see the rainbow in revelation i think that's important <laughs> well it's it i think it's great because you've got the rainbow appearing way 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 back at the beginning of the bible and the story of noah and then here at the end of the bible this is not the end of the bible but you know the last book and the sort of projection of the future you've got a rainbow appearing yeah so the rainbow the rainbow never goes away no it's always the, there but and the rainbow is so symbolic of so many things isn't it you know the rainbow uh, that is the physical manifestation of god's covenant with humanity is there in the beginning it pops up throughout and it's still there in revelation and Absolutely. the story of the rainbow people, let's call us that, you know, queer people were there in the beginning 
we keep popping up and we're still here at the end <laughs> you know we're, we're still there we ain't going anywhere so sum it up better huh could not sum it up better <laughs> well i just feel like it it tells the story and the story the story of god is like it's just a big old queer story <laughs> it just yeah. is because it doesn't fit any norm and any societal construct or anything that's supposed to happen it doesn't happen that yeah. way when god's involved therefore by definition it's a queer old story <laughs> very definitely so and of course, in Revelation, you've got the multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands and cried out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And um, yeah, I think if every sort if every top sort of person is there, then every sort of person is there. Yeah. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this journey i hope you found it useful i hope you've got something out of it um you may have been challenged that's a good thing it's okay um you may have disagreed with some of the things that we've said um rachel and i disagree on things as well it's it's fine to do that i hope you've been able to find a really constructive way to disagree because that's really healthy and and a good thing as well We've said that we're doing this course on a podcast. If you think there's other things that we should talk about, you can drop us a tweet, you can drop us an email. We might pick it up again in the future and do some follow-up, talk about some other things when Rachel's not in quarantine and knackered from teaching and being at the end of term. <laughs> um, but yeah, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to hear what you've thought of it, how it's been useful to you. Uh, do stay in touch with us. You can. As I say, you can tweet us. We're at Rainbow Pod UK. You can send us an email when the rainbow appears at gmail.com. Rach, last word from you. Goodbye. <laughs>